This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. So last week we focused on Mary and how her story is depicted in our Bible and our church teachings as she finds out she will be the mother of the infant Christ. Matthew's gospel only gives Mary about a half a verse. But our wider church traditions give us a vault of images and tradition to draw from, even if Matthew does not. The person that Matthew focuses on is Joseph. Matthew begins the gospel by setting out the paternal line stemming from Joseph, son of David, and Dan can attest to that. Dan, were you the one that got to read that on Sunday? That uh, There he is. Yep, yep. That was fun, right? Right, yeah. <clears throat> so Matthew wants to show that the baby Jesus has the credibility. Remember, uh, Matthew is, uh, is concerned with showing things are right under the law, so that Matthew shows there's credibility, true credibility for Jesus as a true descendant of David to be this Messiah that everybody is waiting for. So Matthew is saying that Jesus fits the prophecy because his father Joseph is in the line of David. Now as a good child of the 21st century, my understanding of lineage is sort of who's in the biological line, father to son, father to son. So why does Matthew give us a long list that shows a father to son line, and then only a few verses later, Matthew then says that Jesus is to be the son of God. So I remember having a lot of confusion over this, not just as a kid too, just like, what? And I also remember feeling kind of embarrassed for Joseph. Joseph is sort of that awkward extra guy in the nativity scene, right? It's really all about Mary and Jesus and the angels and God. And Joseph got very little mentioned in the stories I heard growing up. He seemed distinctly pushed aside. <clears throat> and we see this in one of this lovely nativity scene here. And there's poor Joseph. You see him, you know, uh, right there. Like, why is, why is he off to the side there? The wise men get to be closer to Jesus than Joseph does. Or this painting where, look at that, he's tucked way back there behind the cows. Uh, and, and the shepherd could really reach out and touch the baby Jesus, but Joseph's kind of craning his neck back there to, to see, see the kid. And this next image is really silly, but again, it kind of shows what I'm talking about. Mom and baby are two peas in a pod. While dad gets to kind of stuck outside, Joseph is sort of wishing, peering in, and begging for crumbs. Uh, the baby Jesus there looks a little concerned, not going to lie. So maybe this never bothered anybody else, but I sure noticed. And as I heard the stories growing up, it was like, Joseph is this awkward but necessary presence because church is really, really on intent on teaching that God and God alone is the father of Jesus who we call the Christ. So it's kind of this awkward like, well, you know, just don't look behind the curtain. Don't look over there at Joseph. The church seems to have relegated Joseph to this awkward add-on figure, but Matthew does not. 
Joseph is the first and primary character that Matthew presents when telling the story of Jesus' birth. And it's the very first thing we learn about Joseph after we have learned that he has an important lineage. What we learn is that Joseph is a righteous man. In some Catholic teachings, Joseph is portrayed as an old man, and in the old paintings, he can actually look something like this. But this is historically unlikely. There are reasons uh, that that portrayal happened, but they're not biblical. Mary and Joseph would most likely have simply been a young couple. Mary, 13 or 14, and Joseph, perhaps 18, a teenager. Right? And by then, he would have worn a beard if he could grow one. He could have been older, but probably not. He was probably a young man who had gotten hitched the way everybody did then. The families decided for them. Then to make it official, the men from the families would gather at the village gate where all business was transacted, and a binding and public contract was made between the families where between the families where Mary and her dowry were to be given to Joseph and his family. This was the engagement. Though the final ceremony has not been completed, the law is as binding here as any wedding would have been. A girl named Mary and this boy, a son of David, were together forever. I think I would have liked him. <laughs> Indeed, who wouldn't like him thinking about what he did? This boy who grew to be a man who was a carpenter or more likely a stone cutter, who lived in a village in Nazareth with his extended family, who worked with his hands for a living, who was a righteous man, a young man with a really big decision to make. So let's talk about fatherhood for a moment. As a woman, I can attest that there is a lot of pressure put on me to be the perfect mom. Martha Stewart was in her heyday when I was mommying my hardest, and she only made everything worse. The women interviewed for magazines would spew lots of advice about how they managed to do it all. With nannies, that's how. And other perks, like perfect dishes and perfectly ironed tablecloths that somebody else ironed. So being a mom is hard enough, but if I had to compete with super mom, that made the worst possible failure every day for me. So more and more, dads are getting this similar pressure. The last few decades, we have seen the rise of super dad, right? Ah, and for those who follow the parenting blogs, I'm sure you have discovered the antics of bat dad. Dun, 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 dun. So bat dad is a real life dad who dresses up in a Batman mask while sternly telling his kids to brush their teeth and clean up their room. And he's got a whole series of videos that are hilarious. He talks in a voice like this, brush your teeth or you'll get gingivitis. I don't know. But super dad is hard to keep up with. The whole idea that there is some superpower far outside of nature somehow that you have to harness and excel at in order to simply measure up our culture loves to feed us these extremes. You have to be some kind of... Have, have, <clears throat> You have to have some kind of notoriety to call your owner. You just aren't legit enough as a human being. 
You have to be a super something or other, or you have to be a super villain something or other, or you have to be bat dad. If you aren't yet internet famous, try harder. That's all I'm saying. But Joseph wasn't internet famous. He was righteous. And the two don't always go together. So what does it mean to be righteous? Does it mean that you are so on task and uptight about keeping those kids biblically in line that your spandex is so tight that you can barely catch a breath? Nope. This is the trouble with all the hype and stereotypes around life and being good enough. No, normal moms can't cook a 12-course dinner with an eight-year-old and twin toddlers running around. And no, super dad is a myth. He can't replace the clutch while juggling gymnastics and pajama day. I mean, it's fun on the days that the super dad thing actually happens for 10 minutes, but we're just human beings. Life just isn't like that, especially when our six-year-old puts her pajamas on inside out and backwards. The goal isn't super dad. Life isn't a contest between being super dad and being a nothing dad. A regular dad, and this is my nephew, is a good dad, an awesome dad, even the perfect dad, because he is actually a dad, doing the everyday dad work of changing diapers and packing lunch boxes and not some cartoon Marvel figure no one could actually ever bond with or cry all over which is the joke about the bat dad character. He has the mask and the voice of a superhero, but he's really just a dork trying to entertain himself and get the kids to go to bed, right? Dads are the real thing, regular dads. That job, being a dad, is the real deal, so real that it's actually sacred work. It matters at the most primal and vital level. Not all of us are lucky enough to get a dad like that, but if we do, we know the value of it. So I have a story to tell you, a true story, but I'm gonna change the names. This is the story of a single mom, Kathy, and she had a four-year-old, and the child's father was not at all in the picture for a lot of complicated reasons. So she had to raise her son, Josh, all by herself right from the beginning, which is not simple, as everybody knows. Kathy dated on and off, and when she met Charles, that was it. One of the neatest things about seeing them together was how much Josh, her four-year-old, and Charles just took to each other. I have never seen a kid want a dad so bad. And Charles, he was well into his 30s, so... He never saw the love that you can get for a kid coming till it come right at him. And he fell, fell head over heels in love with that kid. Kathy and Charles decided to get married, and Josh was just old enough to understand. So they said they would announce it in church and that Josh could do the announcement. So little Josh got up that Sunday, and he said, holding on to his mom's hand, stuck on her leg like four-year-olds do in that little voice, he says, Charles is going to be my daddy. 
right? There was not a dry eye in the place. So Charles and Josh may not have met until Josh was four, but Charles was always, always, and still is Josh's dad. And Josh is 24 now. They were father and son, and that is simply the truth. If we go back to Matthew here in the Christmas story and the awkward nativity scene where Joseph is stuffed in the back and thinking about what it means to be a father in the real world, we do Joseph such a disservice. Matthew tells us Joseph was a righteous man, not uptight and not full of superness, but compassionate, ethical, moral, kind, someone who understood fairness, someone who looked up to and followed God, someone who was faithful, who did not put himself first, someone who understood God's ordinances were for the purposes of well-being, and he actually lived that way. So when he hears that Mary is pregnant, he knows the village has heard as well. He knows the punishment could be severe, that even if the punishment is lesser, the shame alone will be brutal. She has broken what is a contract signed by the families, and she is an adulteress, for by law, it is already a marriage. And he knows the child is not his. And hear this next bit. What a person does when adversity comes their way tells us something about their character. So there is a little kindness here in his discernment as he's trying to figure out what he's going to do. If he lets her out of the contract quietly, that means he could return her dowry. He could keep it if he wanted to. He has every justifiable reason under the law. But if he does it quietly and he returns it, then perhaps whoever's child she's carrying, perhaps they love each other. And it would give them a chance to marry and that father a chance to have his child. What a kind heart. And such a young man to think of a plan like that, to try to save her the brutality of the shame, to try to make things as filled with well-being as any perceived-to-be-broken situation could be. They were raised in the same village, remember. When they were younger, perhaps they played together. They would not be unknown to each other. There's no reason to suspect that this kindness didn't come out of a genuine care for her. So when the angel comes to Joseph, what a choice God has made. What a shock to the system, a young man with a soft spot for this girl he is betrothed to. And this recognition that love is love and it hurts when it's broken apart. Too often in our zeal to tell this story from the church's point of view, how Jesus is the son of God, we forget that just as God chose Mary for the mom, God chose Joseph for the dad. He's regular, perfect, beautiful, regular, a stone cutter. He loses his temper, probably. He makes amends, probably. He probably has a hearty appetite. And he is willing to face the shame of the village to take Mary for his wife because the angel came to tell him what a blessing it would be 
To have a son was considered a gift from God. This child would be Joseph's son. This child would have brothers and sisters from their union too. God would make them a human family. Dreams were an important way back then to learn the will of God. In the Greek, the word used here when the angel visits Joseph was to shine, to produce light like a candle or a star or a lantern. That angel shined in Joseph's dreams, and the truth shines out in and through Joseph. Do not be afraid, the angel said, to do the will of God. Joseph is never second. He is not awkward or misplaced. Matthew, in his gospel, gives Joseph his rightful, perfect place. When Jesus is born, Joseph lists that baby up as his own son. Jesus is made of the line of David by his father, by that act of claiming, adoption, and love passing on all the legal requirements of the time. They are a holy family. And they, like us, wrestle with motherhood and fatherhood. It's almost Christmas time. Set the watch. For this is the season where we remember that Jesus, God, entered in. Jesus became flesh. Jesus was an actual little newborn infant needing exactly the type of care around the clock that every human child ever needs. Mary was his mother, and Joseph, righteous, kind, loving Joseph, was his dad. Amen. Amen.